Good morning. It's, it's good to be back with you. I was uh, sick last week, but I'm here today. Thank the Lord for uh, good health. Praise Him. I'm thankful for the sickness in a small way. It makes today's message that much sweeter for me personally to preach. And it's because my message today is about God's precious grace in the midst of life's trials. For Ruth, it's about his bountiful provision in the face of poverty, in the face of potential hunger, homelessness. It's about God's tender, compassionate mercies towards the saints he loves so deeply. And I ask God to bless the preaching of his word today. I want you to read along with me from Ruth chapter 2. This is going to be verses 1 through 18. It's going to be up on your screen as well. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, Well, she's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go glean to any other field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that you are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean. Do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley, and she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. You'll remember from previous weeks the tragedy that Naomi and Ruth Ruth have found themselves in. The thing that nobody ever wishes to happen has happened. The loss of a husband, both Naomi and Ruth. The loss of two children, two sons, not to mention their entire way of life, their friends, their family, Ruth's family, everything shattered in an instant. 
as Naomi is forced to return home heartbroken. Naomi's anguish of soul is so great in chapter 1, she says, I want to change my name. My name means pleasant one, and I'm going to change it to Mara, which means bitter. She says, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. In many ways, Naomi is a female version of Job in this story. Both Naomi and Job, they, they know that God's sovereign. They know he's in control of all things. They're both trying to work that out with fear and trembling, with a little bit of anger. Why would God allow sorrow like this to overtake our lives? Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? That's the question people always ask. Of course, we are good Presbyterians. We know there are no good people. But it doesn't soften the blow. There's a scene from a movie called The Tree of Life. There's a funeral that's taken place. A little boy has died. And the mother is there. It's a heartbreaking, absolutely heartbreaking scene. And the father, uh, Father uh, Callahan or something, his name is the priest, comes up. And he, he tries to console the mother. And he says, he's in God's hands now. And the mother looks at the priest questioningly. And she says, he was in God's hands the whole time, wasn't he? And the answer to the mother's statement in the film and to Naomi's sorrow and to our sorrows is yes. God is in control. He has the whole world in his hands. But we're often quicker in life when something good happens to say, oh, that was that was totally a God thing. That was a God thing. When in reality, everything is a God thing. God is sovereign over all things. And so we have to wrestle with this. It doesn't mean that God is the author of evil. It means that God is working all things together for the good of those who love him. It means that both the joy, the sorrow of life, they're all being woven into a magnificent, beautiful tapestry of redemption. And if you've ever seen a tapestry from behind, you know there's frayed ends and colors everywhere. And it doesn't, you can't make heads or tails of what's happening. But the story before us today is inviting us to behold. It says, come around the front. Come to the place where Ruth and Naomi, they don't know what's going to happen yet. We do. Come to the front. See what God is weaving. See what God is doing. Beauty, glorious plans and purposes for, for their lives, for our life. God is working out his will. And so everything is a God thing. Fall of Adam and Eve, sin entering the world, none of that threw God off. It didn't catch him by surprise. Jesus on the cross was always plan A, and that should be a great comfort to us. That means that nothing that happens in our own lives ever is out of God's control. It means there are, as R.C. Sproul used to love to say, there are no rogue molecules there are no bandit atoms, you know, that are going to run around and do their own thing. God is in control of everything. Everything has a purpose and a reason. And so those who are here with us today who have come seeking refuge under God's wings, you are forever under his loving care. It doesn't mean that the tragedy is any less real. It doesn't mean your sorrow or your grieving will just magically go away. In fact, many times when you're in the center of the tragedy, all of God's promises seem shallow and they can seem weak. And you can say, I, I know the verse. I know the verses. I don't want to hear the verses right now. You can imagine Naomi and Ruth's grief. But even though we can't always see it, 
Even though Ruth and Naomi don't know it yet, God's favor is eternally upon his people who are in Jesus Christ, who are under his wings. We have two vulnerable women, no earthly means of support, and they're about to be overwhelmed by God's tender mercies. So I'm going to see how this plays out. How, how does this play out in the text? There's three key points. I'm taking them from Ruth's lips herself. The first point is we are all looking for favor. We're all looking for favor. Secondly, why have we found favor? And thirdly, we have found favor. We have found favor. Well, right off the bat in the story, we learn something uh, good and true about Ruth's character. Her first action in chapter two is to go to work. She is going to leave Naomi's side. She's going to go to the fields. She's going to put herself in an extremely vulnerable position. A foreigner, not a friend to her name, she's going to go out in the fields and work. She's showing respect for her mother-in-law's age, her stature. She's, you have to think about the dangerous position, how, how Ruth is going to be out easily taken advantage of. Easily taken advantage of. Nobody would know she was gone if she was harmed. She could just be left for dead. You see, back in chapter 1, her, her oath to Naomi meant something. She keeps her word. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. And what's her hope in going in the first place? Why does she go in the first place? Ruth says she's going out looking for favor. That word favor, when translated into the Greek, if you take it from the Hebrew to the Greek, it's the word that we know as grace. So Ruth says, after a bitter turn of events, I'm going to go looking for some grace. I want some grace. I need some grace. Now, notice she doesn't say, Naomi, let's just sit here. We're going to have a 24-hour prayer vigil. Uh, I'm going to hope that God shows us grace. No, she's going to not be passive in her pursuit. She's going to go seek God's will for her life. This is going to be Ruth's first introduction to Yahweh, the God that she's heard so much about. This is going to be her introduction to Yahweh's super abundant grace. Now, the wonderful takeaway here for us Uh, concerning God's will is this. How many in this life are sitting around waiting for God to give them some sign or some word or some sort of miraculous thing to happen? You know, Lord, if if you just want me to do this, then would a lightning bolt strike my house right now? You know, it's like God's this eight ball and they shake it up. Should I go uh, to my car today? You know, ask again later. You know, it's like that's not how God works. There is no reckless intervention. There is no need for an obscure sign from heaven. We should take hold of God's promises in his word. We need to walk by faith, by obedience, take action. And so God says, how do we do this? Well, we use common sense. We pray. We heed wise counsel. And then we move. We move our physical bodies. We we swing for the fences in faith. And if we strike out, it's better than riding the bench. So be bold. Be bold. Naomi approves of Ruth's boldness. She sends her off to glean in the fields after the reapers. And if you're a bit confused by this part, it's, it's beautiful. Because this part is, is, is a sign of God's grace playing out in real time through his people's observance of the law. In the Old Testament, there were specific laws concerning poor, needy, Uh, Orphans, widows, the the homeless, because God loves the lowly. 
He deeply cares for the widows, for the orphans, for the downcast. Listen to Leviticus 19, verse 10. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners. I am the Lord your God. Don't pick, before you pick up that second grape, I'm the Lord your God. Remember that. Leave it. Deuteronomy 24, 19. When you're harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. So Ruth thinks, can I find someone who's keeping God's laws about gleaning? Will there be somebody faithful in the land? Will this God who has set up these laws, will he provide for me even in this way? Imagine Ruth now is a new convert. She comes into this place. She's, she's uh, what's, what's hip into art today? Is, you know, she's tried astrology. She's tried uh, tarot cards, new age stuff, crystals. And here comes little Ruth into our doors, hoping to find something true, something beautiful. She's looking for grace. Would she find a people obeying God's laws in these doors? Would she find an authentic group of people reflecting God's mercy, his compassion? Would we welcome her with open arms? That's what the world is looking for. Are these people doing what the Bible actually commands them to do? You see, God's glory is on display when his people are reflecting him through their words, through their actions, through the way we love. We reflect God's glory when those who are outside the camp witness God's people actually acting like Christians. And something changes. They go, what is, what's different about what's going on at First Pres? Those people love each other. They love each other. When outsiders see true Christians acting like Christ, they take notice. So Ruth comes to the field. She's looking for favor, and she finds it in the form of Boaz. But we have to stop here for a moment because God's providence demands we we take a second to breathe. God's providence over the story is absolutely remarkable. Listen to verse 3. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Now the author is playing with us a little bit here because the phrasing she happened is like saying, well, by chance she came upon Boaz's field. Well, by happenstance, as, you know, as luck would have it, as coincidence would have it. No, 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 no. As God's glorious providence would have it. And this is where we must hold in perfect balance God's sovereignty and man's actions. Because whose idea was it to glean in the first place? Who sent her to this specific field? Who forced Boaz to go out that day? Did anybody hold them to the fire and make them do that? No, no, no. All of these things were human actions, decisions, and all of these things were God's perfect plan. You see, it's beautiful. Through it all, God is working out his perfect will through human means. So did this just happen to work? You know, did she just happen upon Boaz's field by accident? Well, maybe it was that all the other fields were picked bone dry. Nobody else was following the gleaning laws. And Boaz, being a faithful, good man, had his people doing their thing, keeping God's law. God's providence gets her there, as luck would have it, as it happened. 
as it turned out. Now you see, even our accidents, our accidents in life are under God's care. The theologian Abraham Kuyper once said, there's not an inch in the whole area of human existence of which Christ, the sovereign over all, does not cry, it is mine. Mine. All of it. And so, beloved, if if you're here today and the sun is shining down upon you or the darkness is over your soul, God's in control. You are his. He is yours. And especially, especially when life appears to be a jungle of unconnected thread, when Naomi loses everything or Job or you, the events of your life may look like an electrical system in an old house up in the attic. It's everywhere. It's jumbled. But when God flips the switch, light, light, glory, you must trust in God's grace. Despite your current circumstances, he is for you. He is not against you in Jesus Christ. And so here comes Boaz. He's clearly a godly. He's a, he's a kind man. The scripture tells us literally to behold him. Behold, Boaz. Behold him. Here is a man of integrity, influence. He has means. Back in verse 1, the author is foreshadowing him. Now there's a field. It belongs to this guy named Boaz. Just wait for it. Behold. Behold him. He checks on his reapers. He greets them with God's grace. They, they like the guy. They, they look back on him. They don't go, oh, hey, Boaz is here. Hey, God bless you too. God bless you. Now, how is Boaz going to respond to this foreign woman, a Moabite who's now gleaning in his fields? That's the question we have to ask. We've been introduced to Boaz. How will he now respond to Ruth? These are our two characters. If you know anything about the Moabites and the Jews, are they good friends? No. They're enemies. Long-time enemies. Now, Boaz could come upon this woman and go, you know, I've heard all about you. I've heard about you and you worship other gods and you're a Moabite woman. He could have kicked her out, said, no, I'm not going to do that. Nobody, would have, nobody probably would have batted an eye. But what does Boaz do? He, he jumps into hyper-protection mode. He goes over and above the call of duty here. He, he goes out seeking her. He's going to lavish her with favor. Why? Well, there are a number of reasons. But I want to highlight God's providence in Boaz's own life. Do you know who Boaz's mother is? Rahab. Rahab. Do you remember little Rahab and her story of Jericho? How she was a Canaanite, an outsider, and yet she abandons her gods and comes under the refuge of God's wings? The God of Israel, Yahweh, saved from the destruction of Jericho. Now imagine young Boaz hearing that story from his mother's knee. Growing up, hearing of God, how he loves the outsider. How he lavished his mother with grace and favor. And hearing that story. Mom, tell me the story of how the walls came down. Again, tell me that story. I want to hear about God. What is he doing? And so is it a coincidence That a foreigner, an outsider, a Moabite is now coming into this man's field who has had his heart softened towards the outsider all of his life. Beautiful. Glorious. He has kindness for this woman. And so I want you to hear me again. Hear me now. 
If you've come into this place today seeking grace and favor, you have a a room here filled with sinners whose God's been softening our hearts for years to receive you. He has been softening our hearts to receive you as one of our own. We've been praying for you to come. You're welcome here. Why are you welcome here? Because Christ is the keeper of the field and he welcomes you. We're reapers. We are workers. We embrace you because he embraces you. And yes, we're great sinners, but we worship a great Savior. So secondly, Ruth is now astonished by all of this. What, what a God. What, what? I went looking for a little bit of favor. I just was thinking I was going to come home with some wheat. She founds favor and she's astonished. Verse 10, then she fell on her face bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? Is this not the cry of every humbled sinner before God? Lord, why, why, has, how, why has Heath Taws found favor at all? Is this not the magnificent doctrine of election, of adoption, of justification, vulnerable outsiders being sought out by the Lord of the land? He comes to us. Enemies being invited to feast at the keeper's table. Outlaws becoming in-laws. Are you in this story? Every Lord's Day, we come into church like little Ruths. We come in like little Ruths. We're hoping to glean from the Lord's fields. And God has promised us in his word that when you sit under the word preached, you are going to be fed from the king's table. Where the doctrines of grace are served up, the entire counsel of God is going to be a full course meal to your soul. Jesus Christ is exalted high on the cross. He's lifted high. The work of the Spirit is celebrated. We remember it. We rejoice in it. The purposes of the Father proclaimed from ages past. This is your food. This is your feast. This is your meal. And what does Jesus say? The Lord of the field, the Lord of the harvest, the Lord of the Sabbath. He says, come and eat. You who have no money, come and fill your baskets with good things. Gather handfuls of corn and wheat. Gather from my field of promise. Dwell richly in my land. This is an invitation for lowly sinners. Come. Going back to Ruth's question, how was it that little Israel... Little Ruth, how did she find favor at all? Well, we go to God's field. Let's see. Let's see what God says. Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 9. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now, therefore, that the Lord, know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. So he loved Israel. Why Israel? Why Ruth? He loved them. Not because they were numerous, not because they were great. They were actually the smallest. And he loved them. What about us? How is it that we have found favor as little Christians? Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, 
This is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Well, it's grace, grace, God's grace, amazing grace. It's the gift of salvation. Ruth, who went looking for favor, God sent out Boaz to meet her with an overabundance of grace. Ruth is taken aback by Boaz's kindness, and she asks, how? How have I found this much grace? Why me? Now listen to what Boaz says, verse 12. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Why did God, why did Ruth find favor ultimately? Did she do something? Was it something, was it because she worked so hard in the field and she went, no, no, no. It's because she simply put her faith in the God of Israel. She simply realized, I cannot do this. I have to come under his wings. Your God will be my God. I will come under his wings. Why have we found favor? Because we put our faith in Christ. We've looked to Jesus alone as Lord. We've come under his wings for refuge. It's a gift. I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. It's a love we did not merit. We couldn't work for it. We didn't achieve it via our efforts. All of our good deeds, they weren't some sort of catalyst that made God start loving us. It's grace. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Final point. Final point. Verse 13. Then she said, Ruth, Ruth says, then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. If you're in Christ today, meaning you have turned to him to be saved, then today you are beneath the shadow of his wings. His warmth is around you. His love is upon you. His favor is there. His grace is there. God is for you. God loves you. He cares for you. Darkest hour of your soul, brightest moment of your life, he's with you. What great riches we have when all we have is Christ. The preacher, Charles Spurgeon, he says this about those who know Christ as Lord. He says, oh, poor kings, poor princes, poor peers, poor gentry. They do not know Christ, but happy paupers that know him, happy slaves that love him. Happy dying men and women that rejoice in him. Those have solid joy and lasting pleasure that have God to be their all and their all. If you're an outsider today, you've come looking for God's grace. I want you to see Jesus. I want you to see his outstretched arm. He's welcoming you. I want you to look around this room. We have brothers and sisters in this room. We care for you. Perhaps you thought Christ was a stranger. Perhaps you thought he'd be coarse with you and angry. You'd be afraid to approach this great God. But dear ones, I want you to see he comes near to you. You have come boldly into these doors, into his fields. You were a stranger, and yet he calls you beloved. He has sought you out. He has sent his workers to you. He loves you with a never-stopping love. 
And Ruth found in Boaz more than she bargained for, didn't she? If you know the story, spoiler, I'm not trying to spoil it. It's probably no surprise to many of you, she came for food, she's going to end up with a husband. By virtue of their marriage, all of his estate will be hers. She found a home, she finds a place to belong, she finds a protector, a provider, a friend. Small picture. Small picture of the love that Christ has for his church. And the providence of God is going to take little Ruth and her rotten story of loss and sorrow and is going to place her into God's great story of redemption. Because just as Boaz sat on Rahab's knee and heard the story of God's faithfulness all those years, a little shepherd boy named David will sit on his father's Jesse knee and hear about his great-grandmother Ruth. Father, tell me the story of how God loved Ruth, of how God called a Moabite woman, an outsider, to himself. And from that very tree, from this outsider who had nothing, will come Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so, yeah, your story could be rotten. (laughs) Perhaps you've experienced great loss, great anger, great abuse, great tragedy. Perhaps you'd rather change your name to bitter, like Naomi. Or like Job, you'd rather curse the day you were ever born. There's so much pain and hurt. And I'm telling you, if that's your story, I I want you to know that God will lift your head up today. I want you to be seized by a power, seized by the power of his great affection that he has for you. A love you've never known. Your life has meaning and purpose in his fields. I'm going to end with a story. Donald Gray Barnhouse was a pastor at 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. He was there for many years, and he lost his wife tragically when his daughter was still just a little girl. And Donald, Bar- Dr. Barnhouse was trying to help his little, his little daughter and himself process the loss of his wife and her mother. Once when they were driving, a huge moving van passed by them, and he said something like this. He He said, as the shadow passed by, daughter, would you rather the truck run over us or that shadow of the truck? And the daughter replied, well, the shadow, of course, that that can't hurt us at all. And Dr. Barnhouse replied, right. If the truck doesn't hit you, but only its shadow, then you're fine. Well, it was only the shadow of death that went over your mother. She's actually alive, more alive than we are. And that's because 2,000 years ago, the real truck of death hit Jesus. Because death crushed Jesus, and we believe in him now, the only thing that can come over us is the shadow of death, and the shadow of death is but my entrance into glory. You see, if you've come under the shadow of God's wings for refuge, then the truck can't hurt you. What can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? Can anything truly harm you? Angels, demons, kings, men, death itself. Can anything separate you from the love of God? Shadows. Temporary darkness. After all that light. Turn to Jesus. Be saved from your sin. Come under his wings. Find rest. Come and glean. He will meet you in the field. Let's pray.